Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, January 31st, 2021, and this is show number 821. Well, I've got a super full show for this for you this week, but it's only three subjects, maybe four if you round up. I'm going to play an interview for you with Laura Davidson of Shure about a terrific new mic for the home office and some new Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones. Then I'm going to tell you about a nifty new app called Overviewer that will help teachers and you, even if you're not a teacher. I sneak in a quick thermodynamics lesson into that story, and that's the one if you round up. Then we've got a nice chewy security bits with Bart Bouchotts. But before we get started, I wanted to read you the loveliest comment from Alistair Jenks. He posted this to our Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack, specifically in the Security Bits channel. This really made me smile. He wrote, Maybe I'm weird, but I always look forward to listening to these, not because of what I will learn, which I do, but because it's like a serial novel with recurring characters, baddies and goodies, long-running plots, comedic moments, and more. Also, listening to Bart B. and Podfeet is cha- uh, chatting away is strangely soothing. I love that. I thought that was just wonderful, and I played it for Bart, and he got a big kick out of it, too. This week's Chit Chat Across the Pond is another installment of Programming by Stealth. In this episode, Barton teaches us how Git can help us when we forget to switch to the correct branch before starting to make changes to our code. You know, we're only human and we will forget, and Git's stash command allows us to set our changes aside, switch to or even create and switch to the correct branch, and then apply our changes. His explanations and repetition in these exercises in this lesson really cement the knowledge. As a bonus tip, he even teaches us how to make shell variables inside the terminal, which will help us with some of the repetitive typing in the future. You can find Bart's tutorial show notes at pbs.bartificer.net, and of course, you can subscribe to Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice. Every year at CES, I love to stop by the Sure booth to see the latest and cool new consumer microphones and headphones. Laura Davidson, lead retail market development specialist at Sure, is my favorite person to explain them to us. Always stop by her booth. We couldn't do it in person this year, but we're still going to have her on. So welcome back to the show, Laura. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So I was super excited during Pepcom when I got to see the latest consumer microphone that you guys have come out with. And I think it solves all of the right problems, or well, the problems aren't right, but it's the right solution to the problems <laughs> we have in uh, in home office microphones. Can you tell us about it? Yes, absolutely. So we showed off the new MV5C, and that's something that we launched back in October, but we specifically launched it for people who are working from home because the MV5, its predecessor, which actually still exists, is specifically used for music and podcasting. MV5C stands for home conferencing. So this is a mic that is going to eliminate the background sounds, the sounds coming in from, you know, up above, poorly treated rooms, the rooms that we're all sitting in. And what it's really made to do is let you be heard as opposed to relying on the onboard mic of your computer or laptop. So a lot of uh, USB microphones replace your internal microphone, but talk to me more about what it's doing with the, the room sounds. Yeah. So it has voice isolation, basically. So what it's doing is focusing the microphone or the microphone itself is focused on specifically speech applications. So it's going to reject any sounds coming in from the rear and the sides and really focus on the voice. And it's actually specifically made for speech. 
Oh, okay. Fantastic. So not so much for trucks driving by and fire engines and dogs barking, more for for speech. Yes. So it's made for speech, but it will block out those things like dogs barking and, and fire engines driving by just in the inherent design of the mic because it is a dyna- or, excuse me, a condenser microphone with a cardioid pattern. So nice tight pattern and rejects things coming in from other surfaces of the mic. Whereas your laptop mic is more of an omnidirectional mic. So meaning omni, meaning all, it's going to pick up everything. Right, right. So for those who don't know about what cardioid mics mean, if you think about the shape of a heart uh, that you draw as a valentine that's got the little dip on the front, on the top of it, that's the side away from your voice where basically no sound gets in. And then as the as you come around to the front, you get the most sound coming in, correct? That's right. And cardioid coming from cardio and hence the heart-shaped pattern. So yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, describe what it what it looks like for us. Uh, you can show it to the video audience, but describe it too, if you would, to the because I think you've got yeah, it right there. I do. I have it right in front of me in the shot for those of you playing along at home. Um, it is a small ball-shaped microphone. Uh, it has a USB port on the back for plugging out and into your devices, um, into your computer specifically. And it has a headphone jack uh, on the back, which I love because if you wanted to monitor in real time, you can plug in a set of headphones hear yourself talking as well as the person you're talking to, which is key. So that's a really cool feature. So you actually can monitor your voice. You can. Yeah. And you can, it comes disabled, which is actually better for those of you who are not audio people. If you want to just plug in a microphone and know you're going to sound great and then keep listening on your speakers that you're accustomed to, like your laptop speakers, you don't have to do anything. Plug in the mic. It's going to take over the mic and sound awesome. But if you're like me and you want to hear yourself, hear how you're sounding, hear how the other person's sounding, that's where those headphones come into play. And you just push and hold the mode button when you're powering up the mic, and then you can access that headphone option. Oh, that's fantastic. So I use a uh, Shure MVI USB interface. Awesome. Uh, what a workhorse. I've been trying to move to Thunderbolt, but I've just gone back to the Shure MVI because this thing just so always easy. works. And it's so yes. easy. And it's yes. got the headphone jack on the back. So mm-hmm. um, I wish everybody monitored their own voice so that they could tell that, A, they're <laughs> muted. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. If you can't Problem hear your voice, one. you're muted or, you know, yes. be there's some other extraneous sound that you don't realize is going on. Yes, exactly. Okay. So yes, like, um, like my daughter's Zoom call, which is happening in the other room, which hopefully you can't hear because of the MV5C. Oh, are you actually using the MV5C right now? I am. Oh, I wow. Am. That, that sounds fantastic. Thank you. I've noticed another thing when people are using internal microphones, there tends to be uh, more problems with, well, the microphones are not uh, full duplex. Uh, Mm. So people, when they they start to talk, there's still audio coming out of the speakers and going back into the mic and and you, you, you miss what people are saying as a result. Yeah, especially when you use something like Zoom, where they have these great features built in called echo cancellation, you know, which are made to make people's lives easier if they know nothing about audio. But they can, yeah, cause some cancellation of themselves by just the nature of the beast. Your voice is going through the speakers, coming out of the speakers, canceling itself out, feeding back, vice versa. So, yeah. So having that external mic, we're really just, just we can't emphasize enough how important it is to take that step. Right, right. So um, can you demonstrate for us, you did it during Pepcom, what it sounds yeah. like going through, uh, you're on a MacBook Pro, is that correct? 
I am. Yes. And supposedly the MacBook Pro, the newer ones anyway, are supposed to have studio quality microphones, which are, to be fair, they're the best microphones I've ever heard on a on a laptop. But yes. compare that to this, uh, the Shure MVI is only $99, right? We're not talking about a $500 microphone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So MV5C you- is 99 bucks right out of the box. It sounds great as opposed to this, which is my MacBook Pro. You can hear my mouse now. It's all clanky. If I had to you know, click on the computer itself, you're hearing all the things, the reverberance of the room. If my HVAC, which is right here, was on, you'd be hearing that as opposed to this, which is the MV5C. And so you have less noise, less handling, you know, you're just, you're much more focused. Your sound is much more focused. Yeah. It it sounds, it sounds richer overall. It sounds, there's depth to your voice. Your voice was kind of blending into the background with the, the echoing of the room. Right. And it's also, I think a lot of people think, well, why would I need to do that? It's not just for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the people who are on those millions of Zoom calls with you every day, (laughs) because it's really fatiguing to listen to somebody whose voice sounds watery, watery, underwater, garbled, etc. So do your friends a favor, do your coworkers a favor, do your spouse or your partner a favor if you're screaming across the dining room hoping that your your colleagues can hear you. They probably can't get an external mic. That's that's true life story for my neighbor. That's why I say because <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. shouting across the dining room. Maybe I, I you really want to buy this for your friends and family and coworkers, yes, you know. You really this, do. Because you're the one who has to listen to it. It's funny you should use that exact phrase because right as you were about started that sentence, I was gonna talk about uh, Dr. Father or Father uh, Roderick uh, does podcasting, and I remember many years ago, like ten years ago, he said bad audio is fatiguing. It, it was is. that exact word that you said. It's you ever tune into a podcast and and the levels are off or there's some noise in the background and you just you feel exhausted trying to yeah. you have to <laughs> yeah. you have to expend effort trying to hear and that's not you if your message getting across is what you really want. So having a better microphone makes a big difference. It does. Now, you it mentioned does. USB. Uh, I saw in the uh, at the uh, Sure website that uh, this comes with the USB-C cables, or USB cables, USB-C, and USB-A. Yes, correct. And then uh, what is the interface into the mic itself? It's micro USB. Micro USB. Okay. Yes. So you're still going to make us figure out which way to turn that connector. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but we wanted to get this out in a timely manner because it was so relevant right now. So that's why we were able to pivot so quickly and create the MV5C from the existing MV5. Otherwise, we'd have to retool it. So, uh, gotcha. Yes, gotcha. It's micro. Now, it also comes in, a, it's in its own stand, correct? It is. Yeah. So it has this cool stand. This is how it goes. So it's a Some metal people, circle with kind of an arc coming up. It looks it looks futuristic. I like it. Yeah, thank you. And so you can also screw it into, I don't have one handy, but something like a Manfrotto Pixie tripod stand. Okay, so It'll it's got a quarter 20 that. screw on it on top, Correct. so you could put it at any height. Yeah, and you can also sit it directly on the desktop. It's got a little flat spot, so it, it will sit. <laughs> as long as you don't have a cat to come knock it over. Yeah, the cat would definitely think it's a fun toy. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's we're not responsible for that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now you guys also have some noise canceling he- Bluetooth noise canceling headphones you wanted to talk about. Yeah, we do. So these are the Aonic 50s and this is the new uh, color variant. So we have them in brown and black and now this awesome white color which I'm kind of obsessed with. Uh they are noise canceling Bluetooth and what I like about them is this tactile touch control for those of you not 
able to see me, there's a switch that you actually use your finger on. So you're not swiping or tapping or hoping something's actually working. You feel it when ANC is turned on. Um, and as well as your control buttons for your volume and activating the voice assist, uh, it gives you 20 hours of battery life, uh, folds flat and has the nice little marks on the inside. So you can see which ear to put it on. So there's no guesswork there. And it, they just sound incredible. I mean, anything we make sounds great, but these are... I love them. I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. They look big. They look big and soft and squishy and the headband looks they soft are. and squishy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do look big, but on my, that was to scale for those playing along at home. Um, but yeah, they're really, really comfy to wear for long periods of time because we make headphones for mastering and mixing applications. We know that comfort is so important. And because these are for people who are traveling and, and listening to music at, you know, their own leisure we don't. We want it to be a nice experience all around. Sound great and feel great. I personally choose my headphones based on how they feel, not on how they sound. That is like my okay. number one criteria. Because if I'm going to be wearing them for four or five hours a day while I'm working, yeah. then I need them to feel good. That is the number one thing. It doesn't matter how good they sound if they feel bad. <laughs> the second criteria is how they sound. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Do they come with a case? They do. Hold on a second. <laughs> I have one right here. Not that we're mocking. Um, uh, Apple at all there. Okay. So yes, they come with a case, which is, is a little big, but I love it because it just slides right in my backpack. It's thin. So okay. Like so that. it's thin, but it's now hold it back towards your head. It looks like it's the size of a dinner plate, but it's more eh, a little bigger <laughs> than your head. It is, it is yeah. big. It is a larger size, but here it is with the headphones, the black headphones inside and comes with a cable. Sorry for the zip. Or the so you don't have to pay $30 extra for the cable. That's you weird. You don't. You don't. I know. Imagine that. So yeah, your charging cable and um, yeah, your listening cable. So you can listen to it wired, should you so desire. All right. Great. And uh, how much is the Ionic 50 Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones? Um, they are $399. $399. So right in the actually, price point. Actually, we one. just, well, we had a price drop. So actually, I'm going to confirm. Don't quote me on that oh, yet. This That's is exciting. Editing. You're hearing it here. <laughs> but wait. Yeah, I know. Well, for the holidays, we did. And it was very exciting because they're awesome and we want everyone to experience them. But I just don't want Ooh, to. Oh, I see $349 on your website. That's it. That's right. So they started $399 at CES last year. They are $349. I just wanted to make sure. So. All right. That's great. So if you plug them in wired, then uh, you would be able to use them for podcasting <laughs> for actually or listening to a Zoom call. You wouldn't get that lag that you get with Bluetooth. Correct. correct. Yes. Right. Oh, and they have communication on them, too. So you can take calls. But yeah, for podcasting, there is that inherent latency of Bluetooth. But it hasn't been too bad. I've, I use them on on calls. During yeah, the day yeah. When I don't feel like listening to my speakers anymore. Right. It's just if you're monitoring yourself, you'll go insane. Correct. Yes, you will. <laughs> You will with the little latency, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So you said for taking calls, you don't mean there's a there isn't a built-in mic on them, is there? There is, yeah. Oh, there is. Oh, yes. okay. Of course. Very yep. cool. So you can take calls right there. All right. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, th this is fantastic. I love the stuff at Sure. I always love what you guys have, and uh, and I appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to find out more about the Sure products, they go to Sure dot com. S h u r e dot com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This has been fantastic. I'm excited. I'm especially excited about that microphone. I have a feeling I'm going to stocking stuff for that bad boy to everybody I know. I did. My father-in-law got one this year. So two <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Thank Thanks you for, for having me. 
All right. Hopefully see you in person next year. Definitely. Well, speaking of being on Zoom calls, I would bet that everybody here is on a lot of Zoom calls. We're connecting with friends, we're getting work done, and while it's exhausting to be on air so much, Zoom really is filling a need that we all have. The ability to share your screen or just a single application on your screen within Zoom makes it easier to explain concepts and truly communicate. Now, you know, I'm not a fan of anybody showing presentation programs, but show me an Excel spreadsheet and you've got my attention. But what if you need to share analog information, you know, something that's not on a computer screen? If you're only using your laptop's built-in webcam, you have to hold things up to the camera, and that really doesn't work very well. The lighting on the camera blows out the whites, you can't see if you've got things in frame, the camera's flipped so you keep moving in the wrong direction to try to get it in frame, and invariably the webcam can't focus at the distance you've chosen to hold your object. If you've got a discrete webcam, you're a little bit better off. You can yank the camera off the top of your monitor to point at the real-life object. The bad news is that the view from your camera will surely give your fellow collaborators motion sickness as you wildly swing the camera around to get it in position. I know that because I do it to the live audience pretty often to show them, I don't know, my dog Tesla or whatever I find interesting on my desk. Yeah, they love it when I'm swinging it all around and they're watching this horrible image. With the discrete webcam in your hand, as you get closer to showing what it is you want to show, you have to keep looking up at the small thumbnail screen for, or the small thumbnail on screen of your own camera while also looking at the object of interest with respect to the camera. You may eventually successfully show off the item in question and successfully convey what you had hoped, but the journey isn't pleasant or smooth for anyone. Now, there's a very simple and elegant iOS app that may solve this problem, and it's called Overviewer by Charlie Chapman. As Charlie explains on his website at charliechapman.com, his wife is a kindergarten teacher, and his goal was to allow her to use her iPhone as a real-time document scanner for the virtual learning environment. A document scanner is a physical table on which you place a document, and it has a camera mounted on an arm up above it, and often it has a light source so your document is more clearly readable. A teacher, like Charlie's wife, would put paper under the document scanner and show the children how to write their letters. He wanted to replicate this functionality with an iPhone. Now, you may not be an official teacher, but you'll be able to use Charlie's Overviewer app to teach things or show your collaborators anything you want in the analog world. Charlie started off by taking advantage of a built-in utility of the Zoom application. In the Zoom interface, you probably notice that there's a green share screen button at the bottom of the window. When selected, share screen allows you to choose from specific windows on your screen, but it also has two iOS specific options. These options are to share an iPhone or iPad via AirPlay or via a cable. I had absolutely never noticed these options until Charlie pointed them out. If you choose to share your iOS device via a cable, you'll immediately be able to see your iPhone's display as a shared window inside the Zoom application. If you choose to share your iOS device via AirPlay, Zoom will put up a big notice on screen telling you the three easy steps to enable AirPlay. First, you connect your iOS device to the same network as your Mac. That's a requirement for AirPlay. Second, you select screen mirroring from Control Center. Zoom even tells you how to find Control Center on iOS, including instructions for iOS 11. And none of the Nocilla Castaways would be on iOS 11, but hey, that's pretty helpful. The last step is to scroll through the devices on your network within the, the um, 
uh, screen mirroring section and you look for all the AirPlay capable devices and you scroll down until you get to the one entitled Zoom dash followed by the name of your Mac. For example, my Mac's name is MBP16, so mine says Zoom dash MBP16. Now you'll be sharing your iPhone screen with your audience on Zoom. Pro tip, before you start sharing your iPhone screen to Zoom, make sure you don't have anything private opened. At this point, your audience can see, say, the home screen of your iPhone. Remember Charlie's wife wants to show the kids a paper on which she's drawing letters. Before Charlie wrote the app Overviewer for her, she used the built-in camera app on the iPhone. This isn't a terrible idea, since it does allow her to point the phone's camera at the thing she's writing on, but it turns out it's not the best experience. Your viewers will be able to see what your camera sees, which is great, but the camera app on iOS has a lot of extraneous information overlaid on the camera's view. Open the camera app on your iPhone right now. You'll see that every single option available to you will show on screen to your viewers. The shutter button, options to switch to video or pano or slow-mo, options to toggle live and night mode. They'll see the last photo you took in that little thumbnail in the corner. That's not exactly a distraction-free experience for them, is it? With the free Overviewer app, you can give your fellow collaborators or students a much better experience. When you launch Overviewer, all you get is the entire screen as a view through your iPhone's camera. There are literally zero distractions for your viewers. There's no shutter, no live, no flashlight, no night mode buttons, no options to do video or portrait, and most importantly, they don't see the last photo you took in that little thumbnail. If you tap on the distraction-free screen of Overviewer, a menu with just a couple of options will be revealed. One option is to watch Charlie's little instructional video where he demonstrates how his wife props up her phone to make it into a proper document viewer. It's a great instructional video and I highly recommend watching it. You'll also get a button to enable the flashlight that allows you to light up the object you want to show. You can rotate the screen and you can flip between the lenses of your iPhone's camera, which may include 0.5x, 1x, and 2x, depending on the model of your iPhone. Charlie's wife props her phone up high on the stack of books with more books on top of the phone to stabilize it, so the 2x zoom is helpful for framing her paper properly. Obviously, Overviewer is a great way to use your phone as a document scanner when teaching, but you can use it for all sorts of fun. The other day, Steve and I had a different use for Overviewer. For Christmas, Steve got a really cool present from our son Kyle and his wife Nikki. They got him a little kit to build a model of a Sterling engine. This little kit was a blast to assemble. Steve let me help. And when completed, it's a really nifty demonstration of the fundamentals of thermodynamics. The ideal gas law says PV equals nRT. In this equation, R is a constant and N can be considered constant for the sake of this demonstration. So the ideal gas law essentially says that pressure times volume equals temperature. If you have a closed volume, meaning V can't change, then if the temperature is raised, the pressure must go up proportionally. This Stirling engine has a sealed chamber with a piston in it. Under the chamber is a little reservoir where you put alcohol and a wick coming out of that. When you light the wick, the air in inside the chamber heats up. Since the temperature goes up, the ideal gas law tells us the pressure must go up. When the pressure goes up, the piston will move to increase the volume, thereby relieving the pressure. Now, the cool part is that this model has a series of linkages and a flywheel, which is in turn connected to another sealed chamber with a piston in it. So our first chamber heats up, its piston moves out, which compresses the piston in the second chamber. 
but the rotation of the flywheel and that increased pressure moves the linkages to push the piston back into the heated chamber and around and around it goes. This Stirling engine can't overcome static friction, so you do have to give the flywheel a little spin to get it started, but once it gets going, it goes really, really fast, and it continues until the reservoir of alcohol is emptied. I put a link in the show notes to uh, more where you can learn more about Stirling engines. Anyway, what does any of this thermodynamics have to do with Overviewer? Well, we have a weekly meetup with a group of friends, which we call Wine Wednesday, and of course, this takes place over Zoom. On the agenda this last week, Steve wanted to show off his Stirling engine. He was going to try to hold his Logitech C920 in his hand while lighting the wick with the 99.5% pure alcohol. But instead, he quickly downloaded Overviewer, selected his phone over AirPlay from the screen share window, turned on AirPlay mirroring as instructed. Now the audience was able to see Steve through his webcam and also see a nicely steadied video of the engine at work on his desk. And nothing got lit on fire either. I put a little video in the show notes of it running so you can see how cool this Sterling engine is. The bottom line is that this wasn't just an excuse to show off my thermodynamics knowledge. Overviewer is a terrific little app that solves a real problem. I'll be using this as a secondary camera on Zoom on a regular basis. Go check it out and have some fun with it. And, uh, oh, there is one little thing I did mention to the developer. It is accessible, but the the flashlight icon doesn't change when you turn the flashlight on. So, so voiceover doesn't know whether the flashlight's on or off. It just knows that it changed, but it still says it's a filled flashlight icon. So I suggested that maybe he have it changed and then voiceover would be able to completely see what uh, would understand exactly what you're doing in the app. So go check out uh, Overviewer. Again, it's free and have some fun with it. And also be sure to tell every single iOS using teacher you know about Overviewer. If you want to really be part of the community, I'd really like to encourage you to join our Slack. It's such a vibrant community of interesting people. In the Programming by Stealth channel, you can learn about cool new programming tools and hear programming jokes. In the Security Bits channel, people post important or interesting security stories. In the general channel, people post interesting tech stories, ask for tech help, and get into interesting debates about tech. There's a deals channel, which, you know, that's probably self-explanatory. You can find out about new deals on uh, software and hardware. My favorite channel is called Delete Me, so named because it's where you can put anything that entertained you in some way, but might not be strictly tech-related. Everyone is welcome. It's wide open. It's loads of fun. And I sure hope you'll come join us there at podfeet.com slash slack. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Shots. Do we have any new unknown horrors this week, Bart? Um, well, little. Uh, Yes. <laughs> Little bits answer. of horror, not as much horror. Uh, well, I mean, not on the scale of fresh solar winds, but that's kind of a high bar, isn't it? <laughs> Remember when we just used to worry about how many people's records were stolen and it was in the tens of thousands? Yeah. Or when password breaches had a few thousand and we thought, oh, that's terrible. And then Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> now we just oh look that that graph needs a whole new axis maybe we should start going logarithmic anyway <laughs> oh good math humor i love it all right
So let us start off with some follow-up on some long-running stories. So let's start with the longest-running story, I'm sure, by the time we're finished. Solar winds, as already mentioned. Malwarebytes have joined the club of people to talk about their um, experience at the hands of these uh, attackers. They released a detailed blog post outlining what happened to them. And uh, the headline is... uh, Malwarebytes reveals it was hacked by nation state behind SolarWinds is hmm. a pretty good summary. So there's a few interesting points I picked out, which I popped into the show notes as bullet points. Um, they did not use any SolarWinds products. Wait, what? So how did they, they were, get hacked by them? They got hacked by a different vector. through. A, so we said last time they were using other techniques. Well, we have a little more meat on those bones now. They abused... An app they had installed in their Office 365 tenancy that they had let go dormant. So they, you know, they installed some sort of product and weren't using it anymore. And the attackers managed to abuse the API keys for that somehow to leverage their way in a little bit into Malwarebytes to the point where they could read a subset of the company's emails, but they didn't get any further than that. So, so that's uh, why the title is. Was hacked by nation state behind solar winds. Correct. So it's the same, and it's this is also a technique the same attackers used with people who did have solar winds as well. Because remember they were they were reaching up into the cloud. They were doing all sorts of things as well as the solar winds thing. Actually, I want to I want to stop us really quickly here. I was talking to Bart earlier uh, when we were just goofing around that. I, I feel kind of badly that Solar Winds as a name is now synonymous with the attack instead of the company that was attacked. That's a yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. So we said the the nation state behind Solar Winds. Well, it's really the nation state behind the Solar Winds attack. Those people just yeah. need to change their name. I mean, because that that marketing term that's over. You're you know you're done if you ever want to sell a product again, right? Yeah, I don't see how you recover from it because it's, I, I heard Joe Biden say those words as well. Yeah, I'll be racing the solar winds problem with Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. He, but yeah, he didn't. He didn't couch it in terms of the poor victims of solar wind. He just, you know, he just just said it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So so malwarebytes found this this uh, breach. And they can well, somehow I, identify it's from the same nation state that was behind sol- the solar winds attack. Right. So remember the last time that CISA released a whole bunch of indicators of compromise? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this matched one of those indicators of compromise. And Malwarebytes didn't notice. Microsoft noticed and notified Malwarebytes. Oh. oh. So Microsoft noticed suspicious activity on Malwarebytes' tenancy. Microsoft reached out to Malwarebytes, Malwarebytes investigated, found that they had access to some company email. And then in what they described as an abundance of caution, they basically audited all of their source code and their build environments and were relieved to find no problems. Wow. So this oh, all went yeah. down at the end of last year. So this didn't all go down this week. This this all went down earlier. So it's Yeah, it's that took a little while to, to work through it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, CISA has released some more information. Um, they released a malware analysis report on what they are calling the supernova malware, which is a payload delivered via the SolarWinds app compromise. So the Orion app had a backdoor, and that backdoor was used to deliver supernova, 
which is a piece of malware. Okay. And they have described the supernova malware, what it looks like, what you should go searching for in your network, how it behaves, etc. So basically more information for exactly what the attackers were doing, the, the mechanics of the attack. And how to look for it on your own network? Yes. Okay. So again, indicators of compromise. Um, so but just basically more technical detail. On the on the malware bytes uh, attack, I guess we should look at it as a good thing that Microsoft was able to spot it and notify them. Is that Absolutely. a silver lining? Absolutely it is. And stick a pin in that for about 30 more seconds because okay. listener Linda sent along a related story, which it's the company involved are not confirming or denying that this is part of the same attack. But simultaneous with all this shenanigans with the attack via the SolarWinds product, a company called Minecast, who sell email security, oopsie, um, they revealed that their certificate that they use for their sync and recover, continuity monitor, and their internet protect, sorry, internal email protect products, that certificate was compromised, which basically meant that the Office 365 tenancies of the people they were supposed to be protecting were actually available to the attackers. So you, people bought this product as an add-on to their Office 365 to protect their email, and actually, because the vendor was compromised, all of their email was compromised. So it's a very similar approach, right? Go for the people who have access to lots of people. Uh, there is plenty of speculation that this is the same at, at the same attackers, but we don't have confirmation of that. But the issue came to light when Microsoft alerted the company of suspicious activity related to their tenancies. Hmm. So again, Microsoft noticed weird behavior and notified the company in question. So obviously, Microsoft have been well briefed on what to look for. And they're being proactive and reaching out, which is okay. good. Okay. So. Yeah, and as I say, either this is a completely separate attack that just happens to be really similar, or it's the same attackers. Either way, it's another example of a major vendor being targeted with the, uh, basically, yeah, target the vendor, and then you get all their customers. I don't know why, but this one bothers me more than the other ones. Okay. You know, I I mean, I know it's, we were talking early, again earlier today about things that really catch me mentally it's not that this uh, uh, Minecast problem was a a bigger problem than what we were predicting. It's just a very vivid example. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's a, you bought this service so that your emails would be protected, and because you bought that service, now your emails were not protected. Yeah. Like, they were trying to do everything right. But again, that's the same thing with Orion, which is the app from SolarWinds, because that was a network management and monitoring app. So again, that was a product designed to help you protect your network from attack. Right. Ugh. Very jujitsu, right? Turning a security tool against against you, you know, turn your turn your opponent's strength against them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, so that's enough of that okay, <laughs> for this good. for this time. All right. Till next week. <laughs> next time. Indeed. Um, last time, we also mentioned that WhatsApp was changing their privacy policies and that people were a teeny bit miffed, to put it mildly. Uh, last time we, we spoke about the story, Facebook had put out a press release basically saying, no, it's not as bad as you think. We're not doing this, this, this and this. 
and that didn't really resolve the issue. So the latest attempt is if we if we pause for a couple of months and we hope everyone forgets and then we pick it up again. So at the moment, the delays have been or so the change have been delayed for a few months. So we shall see. Yeah, uh, and I, in I totally to trust him to fix it and do it right. <laughs> yeah, but their message. Yeah, I know. But their message said we're just going to wait and do it later when you're not paying attention. Right. And their message last week was, no, no, no. What we're doing is not what you think. You're wrong. We're not. I mean, as I said, I didn't go over very well. Um, and as we mentioned last time, the servers running Signal crashed because of the massive uptick in people <laughs> switching to Signal. So, you know. Yeah. And some positive news, though. WhatsApp, web, and desktop have some extra biometric security. So basically, there's Face ID slash Touch ID for certain features within the app now. So that's interesting. I, I hate the WhatsApp desktop app because you have to log out of your phone in order to log into it. So when you after after you log into your like on your phone, you have to open the the WhatsApp app and then scan a barcode and then it gives your desktop permission to now be in charge. But that disables it on your phone. So you have to log back in on your phone when you switch back. When's the last time you used WhatsApp desktop? Because that's not true anymore. Uh, OK, sorry, that's half not true. You still have to do the barcode thing, but it doesn't log you out on the phone. Okay, maybe that's maybe I'm exaggerating that part. But the barcode thing is by like it's like oh, forget it. I'm going to talk to somebody else than the person I wanted to talk to. <laughs> I am an excruciatingly reluctant WhatsApp user, mm. um, but in frankly, in COVID times, you talk to your family as and when you can, even yeah. if it makes you feel like you need a shower. <laughs> Right. If it, maybe you could do WhatsApp web and do it in a private browser tab instead. You, you, I have two basic instincts fighting against each other here because I detest web apps and I detest WhatsApp. So <laughs> I Just prefer a native app. Facebook to yourself as you're opening a web app. Yeah, I wonder if it's intentional that they went for a green icon so I wouldn't think blue evil. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So, oh, the, well, the next story will put a smile on her face. Indeed. You and actually a few other people thought I would find this hilarious, and you were absolutely correct. Um, so we talked last time that Flash was dying. What I hadn't quite grokked is that Adobe didn't just let it die. They proactively killed it. Mm -hmm. They added the last update to Flash, as well as fixing some bugs, injected a time bomb to self-disable itself when its time ran out. Uh -huh. So actually, the whole thing about uninstalling Flash is way less important than I thought. It's dead anyway. It, assuming you kept it patched, it killed itself. <laughs> However, if you happen to be a Chinese railway company who built their timetabling system in Flash for reasons, <laughs> they, whenever that decision was made, and I'm guessing it was decades ago, even then it was a stupid idea. Mm -hmm. But apparently they didn't even realize Flash was coming to an end. So, you know, there were some people on planet Earth. Either way, the there was a railway company in China whose entire time plate tabling system re relied on Flash to function. And one by one, all of their stations started to be unable to see what trains were coming or going. So, so they, they were was... unable to view the train operation diagrams, formulate train sequencing schedules, and arrange shunting plans. And I, I'm guessing shunting is when you're switching tracks? It's no, it's it, it's slightly more complicated still. So, 
If you have trains with locomotives and carriages, shunting is basically assembling the carriages needed for a specific train. So if you oh, could okay. imagine a freight train might need to take four carriages from this siding and five carriages from that siding, that's shunting. So you're so assembling the kind train. Kind of important. Vital. <laughs> Vital. Yeah. Can I tell the punchline? Let me tell the punchline. Yes. The punchline is they fixed it at 4.30 a.m. The, the, the following day by installing a pirated version of Flash. Yeah. <laughs> but they half fixed it by going to backup from the day before, but then the self-destruct sequence kicked in again, so they only got to run again for an hour or two. Oh my gosh. So um, is that kind of a honeypot that everybody knows there's an unpatched pirated version of Flash running somewhere? One would hope it's an unpirated, uh, an unpatched pirated version of Flash running on something not connected to the internet. But then again, they got well, the so if it's the, if their schedule if it's their scheduling, that's got to be online, right? Right, and also they got the software update with the self destruct. Ooh, <laughs> ooh! I'm glad I don't work for IT for the, the the relevant Chinese railroad, which I'm not pronouncing because I'll only get it wrong. I'm gonna go Shenyang, is what it looks like. I mean, we shouldn't laugh, but don't. I mean, it's not like they didn't tell you. Apparently, they didn't know. So maybe I would like to work for their IT because I'd be the smartest person there, <laughs> or the most informed person. <laughs> well informed, right? Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, we have no deep dives for this week, so let us jump on to action alerts. Uh, lots and lots of stuff going on here. Basically, Apple patched everything. Uh, watch OS, iOS, iPad OS, TV OS, and uh, don't dawdle on this one. Um, they picked, they patched three bugs. They're not telling us a lot of detail about them, other than the fact that they were being actively exploited in the wild. Oh, so that okay. makes them zero days. So uh, definitely patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Two of them were in Safari, and one of them is in the Kernel. So yikes. So I figured out, finally, I figured out a foolproof way to speed up watchOS updates. I got it. God. No effort required whatsoever. Turn on automatic updates. Oh, I, well, that definitely makes them go I faster. I finally yeah. did it because I always delay doing them because it's like, oh, it's going to be like two hours. It's going to, and I know there's that trick and you're supposed to turn off Bluetooth and you got to remember what time and I can never, and I think, oh, I'll go look it up and I'll go, I'll just do it. No, I won't do it because I want to go for a walk, blah, blah, blah. I got up this morning and it said, yeah, I did that update for you last night. Thank you. Yeah. The, it, the fact that it learns when you sleep and then just does it when you don't care. Yeah. I adore yeah, I have my iPhone and my watch doing it now and my iPad. Oh, really? So I haven't done the phone and I probably should because I don't ever go through methodically and look at them all and decide whether to do it. Yeah, I'm turning that on right now. Forget this nonsense. Yeah, it's so pleasing to wake up in the morning. So you go to bed at night with your with your podcast playing and, and a 10 minute of snooze mm -hmm. and you wake up in the morning with a fresh OS. It's brilliant. <laughs> Nice. I mean, we might get bitten at some point with some bad update, but okay. Mm. Balance of probabilities are more likely to get bitten by not updating. There are more zero yeah. days than there are catastrophic failed well, updates. The one thing is I'm I'm real good about doing them on my phone because they don't take freaking forever. Actually, maybe I did turn on automatic updates. Look at that. iOS 14.4, your software is up to date. Maybe I did them all the last <laughs> time we had this exact same conversation. But 12 people are uh, are yelling into their phones right now saying, you, you did that last time. Yeah. 
I, I'm not sure which version of iOS Apple made it much, much better, but some versions of iOS ago, they added that extra logic where it'll just do it in the middle of the night and it just changed my outlook completely. Yeah. Because I don't care what my phone is doing when I'm asleep. That's about the only time I don't care. Because pretty much all the rest of the time, my phone is important to me and the thought of being without it for 15 minutes while it does its thing is makes me cranky. Yeah. Which is why it didn't used to happen nearly as promptly as it should. And now it just does it by itself and I don't care. It's brilliant. All right. I didn't I did have automatic updates on my iPad mini, but it did not do it yet. Why yes, because they in? roll out over time. Yeah. I did get a notification on the watch saying that it was going to do it that night, by the way. It said I'm gonna do it tonight if you're cool with that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and iOS certain versions of iOS certainly asked you for your passcode for the automatic update. So it says I'm gonna update overnight tonight. Can you give me your passcode, please? Yeah, I don't remember if it did or not. And I definitely, it definitely didn't ask me on my phone because I didn't talk to it in the last day or so on the subject. And I think it was just the last day or so, right? Yeah, the, this came out like yesterday, I think. Maybe the day before, but certainly no longer ago than that. Download and install. And now it's asking me for my password. <laughs> there we go. Anyway. All right. Thanks to the good people at Project Zero. And they were actually inspired by Apple in a strange and perverted way. Um. There are now really important security updates for Signal, Facebook Messenger, Google Duo, something called GeoChat, and Mocha. If you use any of those apps, there is a software update out that was released before Project Zero spilled the beans on what was being fixed. So if you are up to date, you are good. If you're not up to date, become so. Because the bug they patched is basically the same as the bug that... Um, messages had do you remember when you could add you could do a trick where you could get someone's um apple uh facetime to auto answer and thereby turn people's phones into a bug and it was so bad apple disabled the whole service yeah yeah well that same bug existed in signal facebook messenger google duo GeoChat, and mocha interesting i don't see and telegram in that list that's surprising um, they obviously implemented their logic differently. Basically, the Google engineer who discovered the or who looked into the original Apple problem, it was a unique class of logic bug she had never even considered before. And she just got to thinking, well, if Apple made this mistake, why wouldn't other people? Because it's really non-obvious and no one's ever seen a bug quite like this before. So she went looking. And um, unfortunately, she found, or fortunately, because the bug was there anyway. So uh, she was then able to responsibly disclose and et cetera, et cetera, through the Project Zero Madness or magic. So basically, well, that's good. curiosity and uh, a dedicated security researcher saved the day and noticed the use of the she pronoun. <laughs> I like it. And I noticed. And I default to it. That, that, that was, you know, the security researcher in question is indeed a genuine. You know, female security researcher, which is great. More please. Smart person. There we go. Yes. Meanwhile, if you run Linux, um, might be a good idea to patch yourself in the very near future. Uh, slight problem with a command called sudo, which allows, well, it's supposed to allow authorized people to use their own password to gain root privileges. Unfortunately, due to a minor bug, it allows anyone to gain root privileges without any password. So is that when you're on an account that already has root privileges? 
No, because then that wouldn't be a bug. If you already had root privileges, there'd be nothing going on. Oh. Any account, okay. any account without any password can gain root privileges with this bug. So shouldn't that affect uh, macOS as well? Uh, it would depend on whether the version of sudo they have installed included the specific lines of code where this bug was. I would say on the balance of probability, yes, it should. Um, you haven't heard anything about it? I ain't heard nothing about it, so can't really say. Hmm. Uh, what I can say is that all the major Linux distributions released a patch timed simultaneously with the uh, media release of the bug. Hmm. So okay. Red Hat, Debian, all the big players get to play along. So, so uh, by default, the root user is disabled on macOS. Yes, exactly, which is why you get root privileges. When you sudo. sudo. Right, okay. Hmm. Root privileges and being root are not the same thing. Right. The whole right. reason sudo okay. exists is to avoid logging in as root. Okay, so the absence of any information on macOS, we are going to hope, means doesn't affect macOS, even though it is a Unixy underneath? Or that the update to macOS, the most recent one, fixed it, and we just didn't, didn't bring it up. Okay. Yeah, Apple, if that were true, Apple wouldn't announce that fact before the media release went out about the bug. Right. Or there's an update to macOS waiting you know, maybe by the time we finish recording this software update, it'll tell us all to update our Macs. All right. Okay. You know, Apple do the whole schedule thing. So any moment now, you know. <laughs> um, nothing hit the worthy warnings category. So jumping on to notable news. Um, Twitter is experimenting with a crowdsourcing technique to try fight fake news. So they're calling it Birdwatch, which I think is a very clever name. Um, so 10 out of 10 for cleverness. The theory of the idea is that there are more good people on planet Earth than bad people. Mm -hmm. And the evidence for this hypothesis is that Wikipedia is more accurate than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. So the logic goes that you harness Twitter users to add notes onto fake news, adding in the extra context that's missing. And in theory, if you get enough of a community going, it should be possible, they hope, to basically automate the the, the labeling like they did on the, the former President Trump's tweets when he was talking absolute horse poop. So the idea is, um, I, I post something uh, about, uh, you know, the sky is green or something or <laughs> I, I post the sky is green and then uh you would put a note on it saying no there's actually evidence that it is uh the color blue within this frequency spectrum with and here's a link to why that's true i was gonna say i, I would I, I would have looked up the exact frequency of the light and posted <laughs> you would find it's actually at so many hertz by the way i knew you uh, would <laughs> um yeah but, that is the logic yeah okay and, and then basically through reputation it would end up with a case where you would end up with enough confidence to actually publish that comment of mine to all Twitter users who look at the tweets. Oh, because you had a reputation, yours would, yeah. would rise up. But are there going to be multiple? I mean, would there be that, 42? I mean, the whole thing is still experimental, so I, I, I can't answer you at that exact level. At the moment, if you join Birdwatch, you will see the notes, but regular Twitter people won't. 
Okay. So at the moment, the notes are entirely internal to this trial. Okay. The, the, the hope is that the trial goes well, and if it does, then the end result will end up that everyone sees these notes on these tweets. Okay, okay. You know, th- th- there's one good thing that's come out of the, the problem with people posting things that are horse poop is I'm finding myself more often checking my own stuff is I'll see something going, oh my God, that's terrible. And I run out and I go look and I go, well, that's not true. Or, oh crap, it really is true. You know, and then I then I go yeah. ahead and post it. Yeah. But I find myself doubting my own sources because there's uh, such a problem with it. And now, I mean, I, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And I, I, the other reflex that I, that I encourage everyone to get into is if you find that it plays in your emotions, you may be in the process of being manipulated. Because that's how they that's how this works, right? You get you so angry that you just rage tweet, right? You you don't mm-hmm. think your brain turns off. Right? Slam on keyboard. I mean, that's the intention is to get you to turn off your logic by anger. Um, and so whenever I find someone playing with my emotions, I now have this reflex that says, stop. Stop, 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 stop. Why is someone not trying to make me angry? And then a lot of the time you find that it's a half-truth at best. Right, right. You know, I'm trying to find, I want to say it was Ralph, listener Ralph. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll find it and put it in the show notes and with credit to who sent it to me. But um, he sent a great CPG Grey video where, uh, I don't know if it, the audience has all seen CPG Grey before, but he does these little uh, cartoon stick figures that explain things. Like the one explaining uh, what the United Kingdom is, is one of my favorite videos I've ever seen on the internet. Uh, he explains the United States-Canadian border, and I learned so much about what I didn't know about how that's not a straight line, or even a curved line. <laughs> um, but, he, but he did one on how... Uh, how anger things multiply faster than happy things. And he's got like statistics on, on which ones caught like awe is one of the categories. And that actually uh, propagates very quickly. But the one that always propagates more than anything else is anger. And he explains in little graphics why it happens. And he does not say anything about politics specifically. He doesn't take any side on anything. He's just explaining how our emotions work into it. And it's it's a fascinating video. I will find it before we're done and give credit to Ralph if it is Ralph and whoever it was if it wasn't Ralph. Excellent. And it's CGP. Not oh, that'll PG. make it harder for easier for me to find in my uh, my notes. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I know so well is because I said it wrong for a better year or two. <laughs> yeah, I, I write it wrong all the time. Yeah, I should do a text. I say it wrong. To correct myself. We need an audio version of Text Expander that when you speak wrong, you just hear this bloop. <laughs> you say it right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um. Yeah, he does lots and lots of great videos. How the EU works, which I think is one of the most difficult things on planet Earth to explain. He explains that one really well. Um, Brexit, he did a few excellent ones on. And uh, he did it quite a few years ago. Um, It's on the order of succession to the US presidency. It's about the 25th Amendment. But it recently saw a major uptick in viewership, and I have no idea why. (laughs) But superb. It's absolutely superb. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, users in the United Kingdom, uh, Facebook users in the United Kingdom, uh, can now get news 
in a more ordered fashion on Facebook because Facebook news has rolled out to the United Kingdom. I am not a Facebook user, but as I understand it, Facebook news is less terrible than getting your news in random posts from your angry uncles. <laughs> I think it's better. My mama taught me if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, definitely good news. Microsoft Edge uh, have added a built-in password manager to their latest release. Oh. So, again, you know, for for nerds among us, like me and you, who use multiple browsers on multiple operating systems, no built-in single browser password manager is ever going to do the trick. But for the amount of our relatives who are, you know, there's an internet button on their one computer. This kind of thing is fantastic. It just lowers the bar to getting people using password managers. So thank you, Microsoft. I thought of you today when uh, my financial advisor needed to uh, get my audio approval for some money transfers, and she had to ask me my security questions. And uh, one of them was, what was my father's middle name? And I said, you know, 12 tilde uh, squid dash pumpkin dash squirrel with a capital L. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> what? And I told her, I, I gave her a little lecture. I said, lie, lie, lie. Always lie on your security questions. I said, how hard would it be to find out my father's middle name? I mean, the OPM lost my security clearance paperwork that absolutely had his middle name in it. And let's see, one of the questions was, what was my high school mascot? Well, you could find out what high school I went to. You could figure it out and you could find out what that mascot was. All of the questions she asked me were very, very easy to find on the internet. So I gave her a little, a little lecture. Said, and even uh, if you have to make up the words and you just say poop or, or boogers or something, just don't tell the truth. There's a preset on SKPassWD for security questions, which will give you words separated with spaces and ending in either a question mark or an exclamation point. I may there, have, not, I may have but used it is, that. Yeah, <laughs> it won't have numbers and symbols and stuff. It'll just have words and, and an exclamation point or whatever. Um, yeah, just absolutely lie, lie, lie and record your lies in one password or whatever you're using. Yes. Because that is important that you be able to repeat the lie. Yeah, I was fair. I was pleased to see that I I had recorded it because I was like, oh, I don't have any idea. I know I lied, but what did I say? And when I when I give this lecture, which I give a lot, uh, the actual real world example that I think everyone needs to remember is how Sarah Palin's Yahoo got hacked when she was governor of Alaska. The security oh. question was, where did you go to high school? Well, there's only one high school in Wasilla. Wasilla High. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. That's a, that sounds pretty easy. Exactly, exactly. And who was so, the famous, uh, famous person who, it was the name of her dog, was one of the security questions? I know a whole lot of people. Do you remember when there was this whole controversy about people's iCloud being hacked? And it that wasn't was it. Really it was one of those, was yeah. It was one of those celebrities. Yeah, and that, that was all hacked through guessing, basically, through social engineering, or in this case, just basically knowing about celebrities. I mean, there's entire newspapers whose sole reason for existing is to tell you about the private lives of celebrities. Every single thing about you, about you like yeah. that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, terrible idea, these security questions. Terrible idea. Anyway, yesterday, wait, no, today, today is... As we record this, Data Privacy Day, twenty eighth. Oh. I got to I wear. I know. <laughs> had luck. I don't know. Um, 
I didn't really think that I didn't know much about it, but Apple have taken this extremely seriously. And uh, the reason we were a little bit late recording is because Apple took it even more seriously than I thought. And I had two more stories to add in. Oh, good. So Apple have released a whole bunch of stuff for today. So they have announced that the next beta of iOS is going to require apps to implement app tracking transparency. And then they did something that I think is extremely cool. It's a little short story releases a PDF called A Day in the Life of Your Data. And it tells an extremely realistic story of a father planning a nice day in the park with his daughter and how that is a privacy train wreck without iOS and app tracking transparency, etc. Oh, okay. Okay. This, This fixes it so that he can go for a walk with his daughter. Yeah, so it starts off describing what he's going to do that day, which is extremely normal stuff. He gets up, he checks the weather, he checks the traffic between his home and the high school and the high school and the park. They go to the park, they take a selfie, they apply a filter using an app, they upload it to the internet, they go for an ice cream. And the whole way through, this, it's just telling you, and this was tracked, and this was tracked, and this was tracked, and these are all connected together by a data broker because of da 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 And you get to halfway through the PDF where you're like, eek! He just, it was a nice dad. He had a nice day out with his daughter. He did nothing abnormal in the slightest. And yet you have all of this information has been gathered. And then, thankfully, there's another page and it goes, if he had been using an iPhone, then, and just lists how all of the different tracking would have been nipped in the bud. Oh, nice. So it's extremely well done, extremely humanized. It's like, this isn't imaginary stuff. This isn't hard to understand. This is all of us in our day-to-day lives. And there's a hell of a lot more tracking going on, you think. I thought it was very well done. It has pretty pictures in it, little cute cartoons. I I just think it's really well done by Apple. So uh, link in show notes to the PDF. Oh, great, great. Then they followed on uh, with some more information about the details of app tracking transparency. Uh I have the money quote, as it were, in the show notes. We will enhance SKAD network and add privacy click measurement. Sorry, and add private click measurement. This is a new thing. They say private, I can't say it, but Apple say (laughs) private click measurement enables the measurement of ad campaigns that direct users to websites while preserving user privacy. So there is now a carrot as well as a stick. So developers now have a choice of asking the user's permission to track them all the time or accepting this privacy and respecting method of connecting a visit to a website with an ad campaign, which allows you to measure the thing advertisers care about. Did my ad buy work? I okay, pay- so but they become part of an aggregated pile of people instead of this is actually Bart walking from here to there. Well, right, so this is not allowing the tracking of users. This is allowing advertising customers to know that their ads are working or not. So it solves a slightly different problem, but it is nonetheless a major problem in the advertising industry. So okay. when I buy an ad, I want to know it worked. And at the moment, I know it worked by spying on everyone. Now I can know it worked without spying on everyone. And then I can know that if I buy ads through this 
particular service, I get good ads. If I buy ads with that particular service, I get bad ads. If I buy ads on this keyword, I get good results. Therefore, I don't need to track users. I can just buy ads based on keyword. So basically, unless you can measure, this is go back to something you love. How do you change something without measuring it? Right. So it is my firm belief, based on some solid research, that targeting ads at where the ad appears is pretty much darn close to as effective as targeting ads by spying on people. Oh, okay. So if they can prove that to to the advertisers. If you can measure the effect of your ad campaign, then you can you can choose to do the experiment. Okay, I'm going to buy some ads based on context, and I'm going to buy some ads based on tracking, and I'm going to see which of them actually gives me the best bang for my buck. And as app tracking transparency clicks in, what I would imagine I will see is that the ads I buy against people go down and down and down and down in effectiveness as more and more people say no, mm-hmm. and the ads I buy based on context will remain constant. Uh, there's no reason they would ever go down because if I buy an ad, if I buy an ad to appear in astronomy apps that is advertising my telescopes, that is going to continue to be a good ad forever, regardless right, of how well right. people say track me. Because you're not tracking the user, you're selling the ad based on the context. Similarly, if I buy ads against science news websites, I don't need to know who is reading them. I just have fairly high confidence that whoever is is going to be very interested in my Newton's cradle desk toy. <laughs> right, right. So this is called the SCAD network. XK, I see what the problem is. SK ad network. It's SCAD network. Yeah, I'm guessing SK is one of the, you know, the way like Apple's APIs have these various prefixes that mean something yeah. like NC NS. color, NS yeah. color, NS color. That's it, right. NS but NS, whatever. SK must be in some way important. So are I'm, they building uh, this ad network? And this private no, click they're measurement? Private or? click measurement is what they're building. So there's an API that developers can simply use. Okay. Okay. So they're not like making money off of these ads or the collection of these ad metrics or anything like that. Okay. No. So they're enabling the collection of the measurement of effectiveness. Okay. With an API developers can use. Okay. I would say it's basically, you know, meeting the advertising industry halfway, basically saying, I know you're cranky at us about this whole app traffic transparency, but here, here's a genuinely useful tool. And we're giving it to you without compromising our users. So I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's um, giving motivation for the behavior we want them to have, right? Correct. And it also, of course, makes it much easier when you go into court and people are saying that's an antitrust thing. You can say, well, actually, no, we're doing our best to enable this stuff, but we just want to do it in a privacy aware way. Look, here's us putting our money where our mouth is. So, you know, many advantages. Um, now, another rung on the ladder of things Apple are doing today um, is talking. So Apple, basically, they've gone to a whole bunch of conferences and things. So Apple privacy exec Jane Horvath discusses the false dichotomy of free services. And Tim Cook apparently slams built, uh, businesses built on data exploitation. Oh. He, I, know, I know he was giving a big speech to an EU data privacy conference. So that's obviously where he was doing that. I haven't had a chance to watch either of these speeches yet. I am sure they will be on YouTube. And I usually do watch them. Uh, it was not long ago, Craig Federici gave a great keynote, actually, to a privacy conference that I really enjoyed. So I will definitely be watching these when I can, but I haven't watched them yet, I'm afraid, because those two stories were added to the show notes about two minutes before we recorded. <laughs> right, right. 
That sounds good. Hey, uh, before we go too much further, um, I can't figure out who sent me this CGP Grey video, and I can't find the CGP Grey video. So other than that, my promise to put it in the show notes might not happen. (laughs) Well, at the very least, link to his channel, because there's so much cool stuff, we'll waste like 500 hours of everyone's time. There you go. Okay. I just found out he started reading books out loud, too, like... like, uh, the yellow wallpaper. I don't know. That was for Halloween. Huh. He's just re- he's reading a Sherlock Holmes Christmas. The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle. The Blue Carbuncle, you say? Yeah. Do you know, I've never actually read a Holmes. I love watching Holmes. I've never read one. Oh, Maybe I, I have. They're great fun. Hmm. Anyway, in very much related news, Facebook had their earnings call. And uh, it struck my interest. So the, the the thing that got the headline is that Zuckerberg mouthed off against Apple again. His latest mm. theory being that Apple is only doing privacy for its own interest. The fact that it helps users is entirely incidental. Yeah, whatever. That didn't. That's not really what caught my eye. That's what caught the headlines. But what caught my eye was a subtle little thing in their actual earnings. They have warned investors that by the end of this quarter that's about to start, their earnings are likely to fall because of app tracking transparency. I feel terrible about that, Bart. That's not good at all. Isn't it terrible when a business model fundamentally based on uh, tricking users doesn't work out? How terrible. Yeah. So anyway. I I found the video. It's called This Video Will Make You Angry. And the problem is it's it's from six years ago is why I couldn't find it. It was way at the back. And I bet you it's every bit as relevant today as it ever was because yeah, we human beings are both the same. 7.9 million views. Oh. That might so be a good one. everyone in Ireland watched it twice. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, meanwhile, we have a top tip from our good friends at Naked Security. Cybersecurity tips for university students. Oh. There's probably a subheading who are not at an actual university, but in fact sitting in their bedroom. Because it's it's very much focused on how do you stay safe in this rather unique and interesting version of university life we now experience, which is awfully like not being at university, <laughs> um, fortunately. Uh, next thing we have then is some interesting insights. Um, Alison, you drew my attention to something that you found very interesting on DTNS. So do you want to share this one? Yeah, let me find my notes here so I can bring it up. Um, On uh, the Daily Tech News show, Dr. Kiki Sanford was on, and we've got a link to the episode. um, And she was talking about a really interesting story that in China, they have developed an integrated quantum communication network, uh, achieving quantum key distribution across 4,600 kilometers. So QKD, this quantum key distribution, is the encryption method, and she does a spectacular job that I'm not going to try to reproduce here. I tried to get Bart to reproduce. He says, no, why don't we just point to her for it, uh, of explaining how quantum computing is being used for encryption. And this is, the, the crazy thing about this is this network that they created is in production use and it's going twice as far as they've ever gone before physically. And uh, she made quite a point of, you got to tip a hat to the uh, Chinese because they have invested in this technology. They have put their their uh, work into it and they are far ahead of everybody else in the ability to create a network that is secure, that um, 
Tom at one point said people are going to complain because they call it uncrackable. And she made a point of, if you know how to get around physics, call me. Because it really, <laughs> to our knowledge, this is uncrackable at this point. I mean, fishing is way easier than trying to f- uh, get around physics. But uh, it's a fantastic description. I just, I just love this episode. Yeah, and just sort of, what, I mean, what makes quantum different, right, is in normal crypto, if I'm communicating with you cryptographically and someone compromises the key, you or I, our, our communication will continue uninterrupted and we will be blissfully unaware that there is an eavesdropper. With quantum mechanics, the act of observation breaks it alters the effect of the signal, right? If you if you observe a superposition state, it collapses. Mm-hmm. As soon as someone eavesdrops on one of these quantum connections, the connection collapses. Right. So the act of eavesdropping kills the connection, ending the transmission, meaning you actually can't eavesdrop because trying to eavesdrop breaks it. So the end result, if someone tries to tap one of these networks it will go down at no point with yeah, your data she, did, she didn't actually say that but I, I don't want to spoil it i want people to go listen yeah. to it because it is it is really good she explains how the encryption works and and why why it would be considered uncrackable yeah basically you got to get around um mind you in star trek land where they have a heisenberg compensator you know then then you could get around this because this really is heisenberg uncertainty principle here you have collapsing quantum states and stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, so you really, you basically need a warp drive level of science fiction to get around this cryptography. Right, right. So I, one of my favorite lines, you know, from the Star Trek writers is, you know, they get emails from fans and, you know, how does the Heisenberg compensator work? And the answer the fan got back was very simple. Very well, thank you. <laughs> That's fantastic. Indeed. Now, I have a story that I am linking to in interesting insights. Um, I generally avoid linking to stuff behind a paywall, but sometimes it's too interesting not to. So there is a story in the New York Times outlining a secret deal between Google and Facebook where they basically decided not to compete against each other in terms of advertising, which kind of explains why there's an antitrust case against them, because that sounds awfully cartelish to me. Hmm. So, um, and in fact, the details came out from documents related to the antitrust case that is currently going through the U.S. court systems. So, it, it did not make me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad they caught him. Yes, indeed. Uh, and then, because that wasn't really very exciting, uh, just because it's cool, I pop this one into the show notes. Uh, the U.S. administration have added what some people are calling a subliminal ad into the White House website. Now, I don't think subliminal is quite the right word. If you view source on the White House website, there are HTML comments saying, if you're reading this, you're the kind of person we would like to hire to help us with our technical stuff. Please join the government or basically please join the public sector as a security or a, as a cyber person. That's, I think that's that is fantastic. Absolutely- Brilliant. Yeah. Talk about advertising in all the right places. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is back to your, uh, if you advertise on science websites, right? This is, yes. uh, this is putting it exactly where you want to find the people. Yeah. This is very much self-selecting. The only people who are going to see this are the exact people you want to see this. 
Uh, I think it's a wonderful trick. Um, uh, President Biden's campaign website did the same trick. Um, and so it's kind of fun to see it brought now to the White House website. So I think, well done. So do a view source and you will be advertised at in a good way. Uh, <laughs> offered a job, basically. Uh, and then finally, we have some palate cleansers. And Alison, you were good enough to provide this week's palate cleanser. Actually, I did not. Alistair Jenks did in our Podfeet oh. Slack, but I sent it to you. Um, this is a 10 billion pixel scan of Vermeer's Masterpiece Girl with a Pearl Earring. So you can zoom in and look at like the individual paint daub that makes the the white reflection on her pupil. It is it is just super fun to go into and and uh, just poke around. It's really cool. And Alistair posted that one. Yeah, and um, Vermeer is a very interesting artist because um, with my photography hat on, if I may, um, Vermeer's paintings contain optical effects. Oh. It is almost certain he used a camera obscura to do his paintings. Oh, okay. Interesting. So he has things like the effects caused by poor lenses in some of his paintings. There's depth of field effects in some of his paintings. So that's just fascinating to me. Um, and to, to, see the, to see what a, their masterpieces work in such detail is really quite extraordinary. And uh, even just the story about how the thing was captured is kind of fascinating. So it's darn cool. Yeah, it's how it's, how it's captured, how it was painted in the first place. And the reason they did capture it was they're trying to, to look at where it was restored over time. And it, it's all cracked and everything. It's, it's really fun to look at. Yeah, because it, it was painted a wee while ago and it hasn't entirely weathered perfectly. I mean, it, it, you you may not recognize the painting by title, but I promise you, if you see it, you'll recognize it. Right, right. Very cool. Um, yeah, not quite as iconic as the Mona Lisa, but yeah, pretty darn close, to be honest. <laughs> well, okay. We, man we managed to stretch that one out from a, a fairly lean uh, set of uh, bad things. Yeah, my my scroll bar is is very large, um, and I was very worried when I sent you the first draft of the show notes yesterday. I said, like, "Yeah, I know we're recording tomorrow, but there's no news." And you said, "We'll we'll laugh at the Chinese railroad for half an hour." And I thought, "Okay, uh, maybe all we can do." <laughs> I know we shouldn't have been mean to them, but it was still pretty funny. <laughs> it was hilarious, and I doubt they're listening. Well, if they are, hello. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, maybe listen more often. You would have known Flash was about to die for the yeah. last two or three years. There you go. Anyway. That's how you know they're not listening. <laughs> Good point. No, no, worse yet. Their, their security uh, people were telling their bosses and they wouldn't let them replace it. That's probably what actually happened. Which is definitely worse because I'm sure someone had the idea, yeah, but we're using that software all the time. We'll just do it with Flash now. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Anyway. All right. Well, we should probably close it out. Indeed. Until we speak again, remember, folks, stay patched so you stay secure. Well, I promised it would be a long, fun show, even with only 3.5 subjects. But that is going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You want to become a patron? Go to podfeed.com slash Patreon. Want to do maybe PayPal instead of a monthly contribution? 
podfeet.com slash PayPal. If you want to join our Slack, like I've mentioned twice before, I'm going to say it again, podfeet.com slash Slack. If you'd rather hang out with us on Facebook, you can do that too at podfeet.com slash Facebook. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.